Today's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 14, verse 13 to chapter 15, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is your sorry, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you, with, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Rachel, thanks for reading that very long passage. 
Okay, uh, before we begin uh, in the sermon, just a quick plug for the book table downstairs. Uh, it, it is uh, up today. Uh, we're going to talk about relationships in this passage. So it's very apt that uh, there are two books I want to commend to you. One on friendship called Made for Friendship. You know, we just sung, or rather we heard the offertory on Jesus, friend of sinners. We worship a saviour who is a friend. So what does it mean to be a true friend? So this book, I commend this book to you. It's called Made for Friendship by Drew Hunter. Another book on relationships, this one is called Finding Forgiveness. Finding Forgiveness, Discovering the Healing Power of the Gospel. Uh, I know some of us may struggle with uh, unreconciled relationships. What does it mean to forgive and to be reconciled? So this book is for you, called Finding Forgiveness, and they're both available at the book table downstairs after the service. Come, can I pray for us? And then we'll look at our text together. Let's all pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks indeed that you are God who saves, you are God who loves us. And Father, we thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you have knit us into a body, uh, your church, the body of Christ. And Father, we come to you and we pray that you would open our hearts now as we hear your word. We pray that you would speak, that you would speak with great power by your spirit. We pray that you would soften hearts, you would uh, make alive those who are spiritually dead. Uh, we pray that you would give strength to those who are weak. We pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged. So Father, we come and we ask for your help. Grant us ears to hear, grant us hearts that are alive by your Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin uh, this morning's meditation on this text with a profound quote on unity. So it's a really profound quote, so listen carefully. It's from uh, K.F. Sito, <laughs> who's the author of uh, Makan Sutra, among other things. He's a local food critic. And this is what he says about unity. You know, hawker centers are something worth celebrating. A place where people from all walks of life can come together to eat and bond. I, I think being Singaporean, or many of us are Singaporeans, or many of us have lived in Singapore for quite a while, and we, we know how important food is in our culture. I mean, food brings us together, right? Food is so much a part of our national identity that what do we nominate for UNESCO's cultural heritage list? We nominate aquaculture, right? Because we understand that food brings us together. Food brings people together. Food is a social glue, right? kind of connects people one to another. I mean, think about the special occasions in your life. What do you do when you celebrate a special occasion? You eat, right? You eat, and you invite your family and friends, and then you eat. Uh, if you look at your friends or your own social media posts, what are they about? Food, right? Either pictures of your food or pictures of you and your friends and family eating food, right? I mean, food is so much a part of our life. Because we know that it's not just sustenance, right? It, it, it's, it's our culture, it, it's our social bond, it brings people together. Eating together is, is, a, is a key way of building community. You know, what do you do when you want to get to know someone better, you want to catch up with someone, you invite them for a meal, you have lunch with them, you have dinner with them, you invite them into your homes and you have a meal with them. It, it's, it's so much a part of our culture. 
what if food, instead of bringing people together, what if food actually causes conflict? What if food starts separating people instead of bringing people together? Maybe you show up at a restaurant with your friends and no one can agree what they want to order. And you you fight over the menu, you fight over what to order, someone says, I don't don't like that, or I can't eat that, or you shouldn't eat that, that's bad for you. And then you, you just leave the restaurant, no one's eaten anything, you leave the restaurant because you just can't agree what to order. You know, food kind of separating people. Or you go on holiday together with your family and everyone just complains about the food, right? And it's a source of tension rather than a source of unity, of bonding. So what if food causes conflict instead of bringing us together? You know, this this matter was pertinent to the church in Rome because as we heard from uh, Caleb preached last week on the earlier part of this text, which is 14 verse 1 to 12, and as we heard last week, food was dividing the Christians at the church in Rome. You know, like us, I, I think food was also a key part of their cultural identity. You know, it was how they lived, it was how they built social bonds. And, and instead of bringing them together, food was actually separating the Christians in Rome. There was a clash of culture, there was a clash of traditions, there was a clash of heritage, a clash of customs. And Christians were quarreling over food, over drink, over which days were holy and which were common. You know, some, as we heard from, as you heard from this text last week, some, the, the strong, Paul calls them the strong, believe Christians are free to eat anything. Others, uh, Paul calls them the weak, believe we should eat only vegetables. And at the heart of this disagreement, the, the root of this disagreement was found in the question about Jewish customs. Should you or should you not keep Jewish customs? So the, the, the weak, which were mainly Jewish Christians, they, they said, no, we, we should keep the Jewish customs. And, and the Jewish customs include the food laws. So we should continue to abstain from non-kosher food. And because we, we're not sure about the food in the market, where it comes from, the safest thing to do is, is to not eat meat at all, just to become vegetarian, right? eat only vegetables. Whereas the Gentiles were saying, no, uh, we have freedom. You know, the Gentiles, were the, most of them were the strong Christians. Gentiles said, no, we, we have freedom in the gospel to eat anything. So, so even if the food is not kosher, we can still eat it because Christ have saved, has saved us. We have freedom in Him to eat whatever food He blesses us with. So they were disagreeing. Right? Imagine, imagine that. They can't agree on what to eat. So if they can't agree on what to eat, it means they can't have church lunches together. It means a, a Jewish believer would find really difficult to invite a Gentile believer out for a meal. It means that Gentiles will probably di- didn't want to go to a Jewish home for meals because maybe they didn't want to eat vegetables only. Right? So, so this was a source of conflict and tension in the church. It was pulling the church apart. And then, you know, friends, it, it's helpful to realize that these were arguments about opinions. Notice that's what Paul says in verse 1, in chapter 14. These were quarrels over not doctrine, not truth, 
You know, not, not gospel truth, but opinions. Opinions. Not gospel essentials. And, and yet, these non-essentials was pulling people apart. The Gentiles despised the Jews and blamed them for holding the church back. Say, hey, you know, you, you, you all should progress, right, with the gospel. Why are you holding us back? The Jews passed judgment on the Gentiles, criticizing them for not caring about holiness and purity. You know, there was one thing both groups agreed on. There was one thing both groups agreed on. Both groups agreed that the church would be better off without the other group. You know, sadly, church conflicts are not uncommon. We disagree over parking. We disagree over how the church building is to be used. We disagree over the style of worship music. We disagree over what to wear to church on Sundays. We disagree over what changes in the church or what doesn't change, or the, or, the, or the pace of change. We disagree over how we do church ministry. Friends, we, we, we even disagree over how to study the Bible. We disagree over Bible study methods. And, and friends, this is, I, I'm just listing out what's happened in the past year here in GBC. You know, imagine all the churches around the world, imagine all the disagreements that we could have as Christians. What should we do when we don't agree with one another? You know, what should we do when we have differing opinions? What, what do we do when we don't see eye to eye? Right? These are very real issues in the life of the church. Right? What do we do when I disagree with a brother about this or that? The, the main command in chapter 14 and 15 is, is just this. If you look, if you observe verse 1, chapter 14, and you look at chapter 15, verse 7, you, you realize that the same command is issued twice. And it's this, welcome one another. You know, this, this whole section is bracketed by this key command. You know, what do you do in the face of disagreement? You welcome one another. You welcome one another. It appears at the beginning of this section and at the end of this section. And the rest of this section tells us what it means to welcome one another. And Paul gives us a hint in, in chapter 15, in, in 15, verse 7, right? He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And how has Jesus welcomed us? We heard the gospel in the first 11 chapters of Romans. How has Christ welcomed us? Once we were enemies of God. Our sins separated us from God, who is perfectly holy. But in His amazing grace and love, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And Jesus died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. And He accepts us, God accepts us as His beloved children. Christ has opened up the way for us to come back to God so that God can welcome us into His family. And then Paul says to us, we welcome one another in the same way as Christ has welcomed us. So, so the, wel the idea of being welcoming is not just having a welcome team on Sunday, as much as a blessing as that is. Being welcoming is not just being friendly to people that you meet on Sunday and smiling at them. You should do that. But it's, about, it's, it's more than that, right? Welcoming one another means looking at one another 
if, if we are in Christ, then we see one another as brothers and sisters of the same spiritual family. Welcoming one another means accepting one another into our hearts and into our lives. It's more than just being friendly on a Sunday. So Paul's going to talk more about what it means to welcome one another in this way. You know, how, do we, how do we accept someone into our hearts and into our lives in this way? So just three points. And uh, just, a, just a heads up, the, the first point is longer, so don't be alarmed. If, you know, it's almost, it's past 10 and we're still on the first point, so the first point is longer. So three points, they're all, in your hand, they're, all, they're all in your handout so you can follow along as we just work through this text with these three points. So number one, love one another by building others up, not tearing them down. So the Gentile Christians believe that they could eat anything. And does Paul agree? Yes or no, does Paul agree? Paul agrees with them. You notice in this text, Paul agrees with them. Right? But Paul agrees with the Gentile Christians, you know, look at verse 14. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul says, yes, Gentile Christians, you are right. Nothing is unclean in itself. And because Paul understands that Jesus has made us clean and, and the kind of cleansing that Jesus has accomplished for us is not just external, is it? It's internal. He, he's taken away our hearts of stone by His Spirit and given us new hearts that love Him, that obey Him from the heart. So food, which is external, cannot make us unclean because we have already been made clean on the inside through the gospel. And that's why in, in Mark's gospel, chapter 7, Jesus can declare all foods clean. There are no more unclean foods because of what Jesus has done. And Paul understands that. And he, he, he agrees with the Gentile Christians. He says, Gentile Christians, you are right. So strong Christians, you are right. And it's quite, it's quite significant that Paul, a former Jew and a Pharisee, includes himself with the Gentile Christians. You know, look at 15 verse 1. Notice how he says, we who are strong. Paul includes himself with the strong. We who are strong. And, and strong doesn't mean that they are you know, perfectly spiritually mature, but rather strong means that they are able to apply their faith in the gospel to issues like food. So being strong in this case, in, in this text, means that they understand the gospel and they understand that freedom in the gospel applies to what they can eat. Right? That's what it means to be strong in this text. And Paul says, I'm like you, I agree, you're right. We're free to eat anything because all foods are clean. But then, but then Paul goes on to say to them, being right isn't enough. Being right isn't enough. Being right isn't enough if you don't also love others. It's not about being right only. It's about actually, do you love other people? Do you love other people? The, the strong were stumbling the weak by eating meat in their presence. You know, let's, let's think about this. How are the weak being stumbled? When the weak sat down to a meal together with a strong believer, the weak would see, oh, you're eating, you're eating pork. <laughs> wow, you're, you're actually eating pork. 
bought at the market. You know, pork is really not kosher, and the market meat is even not kosher. So why are you eating pork? You know? and, then, and then the weak believer would feel kind of bad, right? I mean, it looks really good, right? So that's clean, by the way. You know, yesterday I went to a wedding dinner and I did have roast pig. So the, the weak would see the strong eating meat, you know, and, you know maybe even pork, and, and they would be really pressurized to eat as well. Because imagine if you're invited to dinner and your host sets food before you and meat is on the menu. It'd be really, it'd be socially awkward to say no. It'd be socially awkward to say, I, I, I can't eat that, sorry. You know, do you have a salad? <laughs> right? I mean, they, they would feel pressurized to eat as well. Uh, I mean, you know, you understand social dynamics, right? It's just hard, hard to say no when food is put before you, and especially in that culture where hospitality is so valued, it's really difficult to reject food. So the, the, the weak were being pressured into eating meat as well, even though they regarded meat as unclean. You know, and, and this is an important principle here in verse four, the second half of verse 14. Paul says, meat is not unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now, this is a really important truth about how we understand sin. Right? There are different kinds of sin. We understand that. So there are some sins that are objectively wrong. Right? There's clear moral prohibition against certain things. Right? Like murder, for example. You know, that's objectively wrong. Regardless of how we feel about it, it's objectively wrong. But Paul says here that there are certain sins like, like eating meat, for example, it's not wrong in and of itself, but if my conscience struggles to eat meat, if, if my conscience wonders if it's right, if my conscience says it's wrong, then Paul says it's sin to eat because I'm going against my conscience to eat it. I mean, we can think about things like, say, say alcohol, for example. Right? Some of us drink, some of us don't. And some of us who don't drink, our conscience might tell us, I, I don't think I should take alcohol. If I were to then still drink, then I'm sinning against my conscience. I'm doing what my conscience tells me not to do. And Paul says, that's sin, to go against our conscience. And that's what the weak were doing here in the Roman church. They were pressurized into going against their conscience by the strong. Maybe the strong will say, hey, what's wrong with you? It's, it's just me. Don't you know you're, you're free in Jesus? What's wrong with you? Why are you so, why are you so backward? You know, why are you still living in the past? Why are you still trying to save yourself by the law? You know, maybe the strong was saying these things to the weak, making them feel really bad for not eating meat. And the weak say, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. You know, maybe I should just take some. And the consciences were troubled by it all the time. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for His glory. Therefore, everything we do, Paul says, must be from faith in Him. Our words and actions must flow from a clear conscience and from the conviction that whatever we do, we are doing for the glory of God. And whatever we do, we have the conviction that we are obeying the Lord. Anything that we don't do, anything that we do that doesn't flow from that clear conscience and conviction, Paul says, that's sin. 
So if we are unsure about something, then we shouldn't do it. Because our motives would not be to glorify God. So Paul says in verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. It's not from the faith that you are doing all for the glory of God. It's not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. By going against their conscience and eating meat with the wrong motivations, the weak were actually hardening their hearts against God because they were searing their consciences against God. So by flaunting their freedom to eat meat, the Gentile Christians were actually doing spiritual harm to their Jewish brothers, causing them to sin. Therefore, Paul says to the strong, if your, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Verse 15, you may be right, but you're wrong because you don't have love. You don't have love. You know, Romans 12 and 13, we, we, we heard this in Romans 12 and 13, right? Paul talks a lot about love in Romans 12 and 13. And, and those chapters are setting up what he's saying here in this text. You know, Paul exhorted us to love one another in Romans 12 and 13. And remember what he says in 13 verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does not harm a neighbor. And then, and then I think he's applying that to the strong. How can you go on eating meat in the presence of your Jewish brothers if you know that it's causing them spiritual harm? That's not love. So Paul says in verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. You know, very strong language. Do not destroy the work of God just for the sake of eating siobak. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You know, do we have the right to eat meat? Yes. Amen. We have the right to eat meat. Are we free in Christ? Yes, amen. We are free in Christ, friends. But, or rather, Paul doesn't want the strong to change their convictions. You know, in this text, he doesn't say to them, change your convictions. No, he wants them to hold on to these convictions. Yes, you're right. You're free in Christ. But he wants them to be wise and loving about how they live out these convictions. So friends, we, we may be right about things, but are we loving? Are we gentle in how we live out these convictions? Are we wise about how we talk to people about these convictions? Paul says, don't discourage others. The strong should never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And, and Paul counsels them, right? He says that there may be times when the wise and loving thing to do is to keep your convictions to yourself. Keep it between yourself and God. That's what he says in verse 22. So if you want to eat meat, go ahead. Just don't eat it in front of your Jewish brothers. If you want to have a drink, go ahead. Just don't drink in front of those who are troubled by alcohol. Right? Do, do so in a way that is, that is wise and loving. Why? Because love is not self-centered. Love sacrifices our rights and freedom for the sake of others. Now, now this, is a, this is a difficult thing to do, right? Imagine if you go to a 
August ended with your friend, and your friend keeps telling you you shouldn't eat that, you shouldn't eat that, you shouldn't eat that. <laughs> You're tempted to say, who are you to tell me what I can or cannot eat, right? I have freedom in Christ. <laughs> but Paul says, love puts those rights aside. Because love serves others. Love understands that our right and our freedom are not ultimate things. Our rights and our freedoms are not the most important things, friends. Love is mindful of how our words and actions affect other people. Love looks out for the interests of others. Right? So that's why we're careful with what we say. You know, think, think about what you say, whether in your CG, whether in your casual conversations. Think about what you say. You know, that's, what, that's what we say build up. Yes, we have the right to say what we want, but does it actually build up? Does it strengthen? Does it encourage? Does it give hope? Yes, you know, we're free to say, we're free to share, we're free to speak our opinions, but are we willing to lay aside our right to speak our opinion in order to serve someone else, in order to serve the church by building up by encouraging. Two Christians were walking along the path and talking to each other. And one Christian asked the other one, you know, hey, how come, how come you're not more committed to building relationships with others in the church? You know, how, how come you, know, you, you seem to come for service, you're, you're like last in, first out, you know? Why don't you stay? You know, why don't you kind of talk to people in the body a bit more? And then the other Christian said, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm growing as a Christian. You know, I, I'm, I love Jesus. And you know, when I think about the church, I just think you know, it's really messy. And if I, if I get into the lives of all these people, you know, they'll just slow me down. Right? They'll just slow me down. Because I, you know, I, I want to grow. I want to go myself and just serve God and, and be fruitful myself. Right? I mean, these people with all their messiness, you just kind of slow me down. Then the friend turned to him and said, well, have you ever thought about how you can help speed them up? Have we ever thought about how we can help one another speed up instead of looking at one another as hindrances in the way of our spiritual growth? And, and that's what Paul says to the strong here in this text. Love doesn't tear others down, but love does more than that, right? Love also builds them up. It says, we who are strong have an obligation. You know, very strong word there. We who are, 15, verse 1 and 2, we who are strong have an obligation. You know, the word obligation is the same word that Paul uses in chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. We have an obligation, owe love to one another, and we owe it to one another to build one another up. Strong language here in 15 verse 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's not enough, friends, if I, as an individual, am growing in the faith, I'm not caring about how my brothers and sisters are doing. It's not enough. I need to be concerned about how the rest of them are doing. 
because I have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please myself. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. Now, I love the quote by Martin Luther, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And I think in this sense, we are subject to one another because we are to build one another up and wait for one another and not run ahead without one another. Why? Because we belong to the same spiritual family. You know, one, one striking thing about this text is you notice the number of times Paul uses the word brother. Brother. He actually uses the word brother seven times in chapters 14 and 15. Brother. 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 Why, why does he keep saying that? Because he wants the strong to remember that, hey, the, the weak are family too. The weak are family too. And, and more than that, do we realize that Christ died for them too? You know, every time you have a disagreement with a brother, you know, maybe you stop yourself and just think, Jesus died for this one as well. Jesus set his love on this one. He gave his life for this one as well. So how, 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 can, I, how can I disagree with this brother in a loving way? Right? If Jesus has set his love on this one and he shed his own blood, for this one. Christ died for them too. You know, this reveals a vital truth about the Christian life, about the gospel, that we are saved into a community. The gospel doesn't just transform us as individuals. It changes our relationships with one another. God brings us together as His church so that we can help one another to grow. That's why we started out this service with that reflection question, how am I building up my brothers and sisters. You know, strictly speaking, we haven't truly gathered as God's people on a Sunday if we haven't actually built one another up. So if you just come here and leave without speaking encouragement to one another, you haven't truly worshipped. Because worship is about praising God and building one another up as well. It's vertical and horizontal. So Paul says, Build one another up. You know, bear with the failings of the weak. You know, what does it mean, bear with the failings of the weak? Paul is not saying just tolerate them. This is not mere tolerance of the weak. But this has a positive meaning. You know, the, the word bear means to help them carry the burden of their weaknesses because the weight is too heavy for them to bear alone. That's, that's the sense of the word bear. You know, it's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The weak are not meant to carry these burdens on their own. They need help. And who is to help them except the strong? You know, those of us who are weak, we may have many concerns about whether doing this or that is okay. Our, our consciences may struggle with many things. Is this right? Is that wrong? I'm not really sure. You know, for those of us who are weak, we, we may know that we are justified by faith alone in Christ, but maybe we're not always sure about how to apply the truth of the gospel into our lives. We, we, we're not quite 
certain, how it applies to this or that specific thing. So our consciences may be troubled constantly because we're afraid of doing something wrong. So how, how will the weak be able to live more fully according to the freedom that we have in Christ? How, how will the weak do that? So Paul wants those of us who are strong to come alongside the weak, to walk with the weak. We are to strengthen the weak with God's word so that they, the weak, are also able to live freely in the gospel. So the strong need to be willing to invest time and energy to patiently disciple the weak. Don't just run ahead. Don't just say, yeah, forget you, you know, you're kind of backward, I'm just going to run ahead. No, the strong have an obligation to slow down, to walk with the weak, to disciple them in the word, to strengthen them so that they too understand the freedom that they have in Christ. And friends, that's how the whole body of Christ is strengthened. And then for those of us who are weak, it's a word of advice to us as well. For those of us who are weak, you know, Paul says, don't criticize or be judgmental of the strong, but be humble and open to receive what they say when they speak the truth in love to you. Be willing to let the gospel shape your conscience. Be willing to let the truth of the gospel shape your culture your traditions, your habits. You know, friends, some of us are strong in some things. Some of us are weak in other things. Uh, look, look around, right? Look, look around in this room. The, the church is diverse. We, we come from different places. We are at different points of our discipleship journeys. And I think this text encourages us to meet one another where we are. Right, to meet one another where we are, so that together we can help one another grow to become more and more like Jesus. And what do we need to do this? We need patience and we need a lot of love. So that's the main point. I did warn you, it's long. So, last two points, briefer. Okay? Second point, keep the gospel the main thing. Keep the gospel the main thing. You know, food is good social glue. <clears throat> We understand that food brings us together. But friends, we've been united by something more powerful and transforming. It's easy to lose perspective when we disagree. And the point of disagreement can loom so large in our minds that we forget what really matters. You know, sometimes I do marriage counseling, right? And I speak to couples. You know, couples fight, that's normal. Conflict is normal in marriage. And then sometimes I ask them, so, what did you fight about? And a couple said, they look a bit sheepish, you know, after the fight, it actually wasn't very, about very much at all. Just a really small thing. Right? And I think sometimes when we have disagreements, it, it's like that, right? We, we disagree and it seems so important to us in the moment of disagreement, that point of contention seems so big that we lose sight of, what re of what's really important. So Paul has to kind of speak this wisdom to them. He says, hey, friends, Remember what following Jesus is really about. It's not about food and drink. What is it about? Verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says to them, hey, why fight 
about food when you share in the riches of the gospel? Why, why fight about this small thing when you have this amazing gospel in common? Why spend all your time and energy on that small point of disagreement when you could get on with loving Jesus and experiencing the righteousness, peace, and joy that He gives? You know, it's a, it's a bit like you know, Christmas time and you give gifts to your children and they excitedly open the present. Wow, it's a wonderful present. And after that, they spend the rest of the morning fighting over the packaging. Same thing. We experience the joy of the Spirit. We have righteousness in Christ. We enjoy peace with God in a reconciled relationship with Him. Food and drink or whatever disagreement we have, whatever quarrels of opinions we have, these things are insignificant. And we need to realize that. Our opinions, our quarrels of opinions are insignificant in light of the gospel. And we need to put them in the right place. We need to put them in the right place. The gospel is the soil that nourishes our love for one another. And through the work of the Spirit in us, the gospel transforms how we treat one another. As the gospel works in your life, as as the gospel changes your heart, as, as Christ becomes more and more to you, I think He produces the good fruit of righteousness in your life. He produces the fruit of peace in your relationships. He, he produces joy as you live out your life as an individual as well as an individual in community. So Paul says to us in this text, friends, keep the gospel the main thing. Keep the gospel the main thing. Don't major on the minor And remember who our master is. Paul says, if we serve Christ in this way, by keeping the gospel the main thing, we will be acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 18. So every time we we disagree with one another, let's take a step back. When you disagree, when you have differences of opinions, you kind of rub against one another and there's friction, you know, take a step back. Take a step back and ask yourself, you know, where is the kingdom of God in this how does this fit into the kingdom of God? Is, is what we disagree about, is that fundamental to the gospel? Is that vital to the gospel? And we need to be honest and ask ourselves, you know, if, is this disagreement really worth fighting over? Is this disagreement really worth fighting over? Is this disagreement really worth all that time and energy? Or does it have to do with the kingdom of God? You know, Satan loves to sow discord and division among God's people. And if Satan can't get us to forsake the gospel, he will get us to be distracted from the gospel. And division and discord distracts us from the gospel, friends. Quarrels drain our time and energy. Have we lost focus on our core business? Are we more occupied with our disagreements than we are with fulfilling our mission to make disciples. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. Remember that? Seek first the kingdom of God, not food and drink. Seek first the kingdom of God. Our mission is to glorify Christ by making him known among the nations. And Paul actually talks about the mission here as well. You notice how he quotes this whole bunch of Old Testament passages at the end of our text? Why does he do that? Paul wants us to realize that God's plan all along has been for his son to save both Jew and Gentile. This is part of God's plan. You know, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 15 verse 8 and 9. That's the big picture, right? That's the plan of God. That's the kingdom of God there. Friends, God invites us into his plan and he says, get on with the work of making disciples. Stop fighting among yourselves. Stop fighting among yourselves and get on with the work of making disciples because this is what really matters. This is what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about food and drink. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is a high calling that God has given to us. We are His people and He calls us to partner with Him in this amazing work of making disciples. He calls us to lay aside our quarrels over opinions and to stand side by side in the work of the gospel, in the work of making Christ known. Are we doing that together? Finally, point three, follow Jesus by God's grace and for His glory. You know, so far we've seen how we welcome one another. But why should we do it? Why should we give up our rights? Why should we put aside our freedoms in order to love and serve others? Why should I stop eating meat in order to love my brother who, who feels that he only can eat vegetables? Why do that? Paul tells us in 15 verse 2 and 3, because Jesus did so. And that's the only reason we need, right? Because Jesus did it. Chapter 15, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Why? Because Christ did not please himself. Imagine if Christ just lived for himself, we wouldn't be here. But Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Friends, we follow a Savior who came to serve, not to be served. We follow a Savior who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for our good and for God's glory. You know, friends, our, our disagreements are challenging. You know, when we differ with one another, it's difficult. I, I understand that. You know, it's, it's not a pleasant thing. But, but our disagreements are also an opportunity for us to look more and more like Jesus. Our disagreements are a precious opportunity given to us by God to imitate Christ. So Paul says you know, in these verses to us, how can we selfishly cling on to our rights if we follow the suffering servant and crucified king? Maybe there's something for us to think about. How can I cling on to my rights selfishly and refuse to love and serve someone else 
if my Saviour is a suffering servant, if my Saviour is a crucified King. We probably haven't heard of this man, Rupertus Maldinius, I think best name ever. He was a German Lutheran theologian who lived in the 17th century. And during his life, Europe was just wrecked by the 30 Years' War, you know, 1618 to 1648, 30 years of fighting on, on continental Europe. And, and this, the 30 Years' War, was one of the most destructive conflicts in all of human history, including the 20th century. You know, Eight million people died, uh, estimate, in the 30 Years' War. You know, they died from war itself, they died from famine, they died from plagues. You know, faced with such devastation around him, you know, Maldinius wrote a tract on Christian unity. And in it, he penned these famous words. I think some of you have heard these words before. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, friends, in all things, love, charity. Friends, as we think about unity, as we think about welcoming one another, as God has welcomed us in Christ, friends, this is beyond our own strength to do. To welcome one another in these ways, God must help us. And this is why Paul prays in this text as well. He prays not just once, he prays twice in these, te- in these verses. In verse 5, he prays, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Our harmony, our unity is a gift from God. God grants harmony. And it's the God of endurance who gives us grace to be patient with one another. It is the God of encouragement who speaks encouragement into our lives and enables us to build one another up. And Paul prays again in verse 14, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The joy and peace of the kingdom of God come to us as gifts from God. And it's so that the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. It's by the Spirit working in us, by His power, that we have hope that this community of love would grow to to become even more loving towards God and towards one another. And ultimately, God's glory is the goal of our unity. So why why live in harmony with one another? Look at verse 6, chapter 15. It is so that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this unity is deeply dishonouring to God. Unity glorifies Him. With one voice, friends, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and, and we live with this hope, right? we, we live with this hope that one day there will be perfect love among God's people. And this hope will one day become a glorious reality, as Revelation 7 tells us. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's the hope that we live for. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, as we come to you now, we pray that your word would have its way in our hearts. Father, we pray for your spirit to take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. Father, we acknowledge that we need your help. Father, we acknowledge that oftentimes we are self-centered. We are selfish. We are filled with pride. We refuse to acknowledge others we refuse to say that we are wrong. We insist on our rights to our opinions. And we do so without thinking about how we affect the people around us. Father, as we come to you now, we pray first that you would convict us of our sins. We pray that you would expose our hearts and reveal to us areas of relational sins that we have committed you, against you. Show us areas in our lives where we have grieved one another. Instead of building one another up, we have torn one another down. Father, in this time of quiet, we pray that you would help us to come to you with humble hearts, confessing, repenting, and seeking your forgiveness because you are gracious in your Son, Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, we come to you as a people who are weak, as a people who are needy. We come to you in our weakness and we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would make us strong. We know that Christ died for us while we were sinners, while we were weak, while we, were, while we could do nothing to save ourselves. And so we come to you with that boldness and confidence, knowing that you will hear us because you love your Son. And because we are in Him, you love us too. So Father, we pray that you would speak strength into us. We, we pray that you would move our hearts to love others as you have loved us so wonderfully in Christ. Father, help us to welcome one another. Help us to open our lives and our hearts to one another so that we, with one voice, may glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand to sing a song of response. 